So we're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter 13 mostly, and then we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, if those are the two places where you'd like to put your thumb. And uh, the reason why we're going to be in those places is we're going to be talking about uh, communication from God. And, uh, and really the story of Exodus that we're looking at is a story about communication. It's a story about God communicating with his people. It starts with God calling Moses at the burning bush. It's a direct form of communication that God reaches out to Moses and says, Here I am. This is what you ought to do. God initiates the whole story. And there's a constant co communication and reassurance that, uh, that Moses has with God uh, throughout the whole ten plagues. God is constantly in his ear saying, this is what's going to happen. I am going to be with you. Uh, Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. I am going to do this. The, everything is going to happen in order for you to bring these people out. of. And, and despite Moses' doubts and fears, despite Moses' constant... Uh, almost uh, unwillingness to believe what God has told him. God is constantly in its ear. It's a story of communication. And this leads all throughout the plagues uh, in Exodus 6. And, and, then, and, and, then, uh, and then during the plagues, he's constantly with them. Then as we skip ahead in the story, we see that God is still communicating with his people. Last week, uh, in our brief sermon, we talked about manna and how God communicated with his people through provision. That he provided food for them. That it, it literally dewed or rained or whatever you, whatever word you want to use, bread for the people to eat. And God was communicating that I'm with you and I'm caring for you. And here in Exodus chapter 13, we see that God is intent on communicating with the entire nation of Israel uh, in his ways. And he says this, so after leaving, leaving Sukkoth, so they've left Egypt at this point in time, and I know I'm jumping around in the story, but... but uh, uh, it's, it's kind of essential right now. I'll pick it up after Easter and we'll, we'll, re we'll return to a more narrative telling of it. But after leaving Sukkot, they camped in Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. <coughs> Excuse me. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so they, that they could travel by day or by night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now this is an astounding visual image that we're given of God directing his people. That wherever they go, there is this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire going before them. That it is guiding them, that it is directing them, it is showing them when to move, how to move, where to move. Everything that they need to know is being told to them on a day-to-day -day basis. And because of this, we would think, as we're reading the story, or at least I think as I'm reading the story, it ought to be clear to the people of Israel then who they are and why they're here and where they're going and who has called them. That ought to be first and foremost in their minds at all times. That any time they begin to doubt themselves or any time they begin to doubt where they're going or how this is all going to work out, ought they not to look up at the giant pillar of fire in the sky and be like, oh, right, yeah. Thank you, giant pillar of fire in the sky, or God, for putting it there. That ought to be how they remind themselves of what's true. But we see and we know that, that that's not true. And, and, and that, that very quickly they forget. And in Exodus chapter 16, we looked at this this week, that even though all of this had gone on, even though they'd seen the Red Sea open and closed, they'd seen all of the plagues of Egypt, they'd seen this pillar of fire, they'd seen quail, they'd seen manna, by the time we get to... Exodus 16, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The pillar of fire hasn't turned off. It's still there. But somehow, because of our fallen state, the more God speaks to us, the easier it is for us to tune out sometimes. And we find ourselves in this position that like, yeah, that pillar of fire isn't good enough anymore. It's always there. But now I'm hungry. Give me something else. And I found myself that this week as I was reading this, I was envious. I was genuinely envious of this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud that never left the people. Because the reality is you and I live in a complex world. And it's difficult to know what we ought to do sometimes. And it's difficult to know how we ought to operate. And there are times when I would love to have a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud directing me where I ought to go. I would really love it if every time I was about to pull into a drive-thru, there was a pillar of fire that was like, no, 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 that's not, not today. Right? I would love it if every time that we were in some sort of uncomfortable social situation where, where somebody, where we have a relative that has said something that is so horrific that, that it ought not to be ever repeated again, should we just enter into this conversation or should we ignore it? Like, I would love for the pillar of cloud to be like, yeah, yeah, you, you need to tell Aunt Mildred to never say that word again, right? Like, I think that it would be amazing if we were guided in that. And we get jealous of how they were guided. And, and in this, we neglect, I think, that we are guided as followers of Jesus as well. Because Jesus said, as he, right before he went to the cross, he said to his disciples this, he said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So Jesus promises that you will have a pillar of cloud with you, but it's going to be even better than that. You're going to have a spirit dwelling in you that's going to give you information on what is to come. This isn't the only time that that's said. Jesus says again in Acts chapter 1, at, just before he's about to ascend into heaven, he reminds his disciples and followers again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the early church operated in this way, that they, that they expected that the Holy Spirit would be in them and guiding them in every single way. The Holy Spirit was, in, in the minds of the early church, the Holy Spirit was their pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. And we see this, that the imagery even starts to line up, because in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit actually comes upon them, how does it come upon them? In tongues of fire. Whether when on the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, rather than one pillar of fire. Now they have a pillar of fire resting on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we have this idea that, 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 that this thing that was external has now become internal for us, guiding us in every way that we 
to be guided. And as such, we ought not to be jealous of the people of Israel and what guided them. We ought not to be envious of their pillar of cloud, of their burning bush, of their pillar of fire, of their manna, because what the Bible is continually telling us is that we have something better guiding us, that we have been given what is the fullest realization of that external guidance because that Holy Spirit is indwelling us. But I gotta be honest with you, I, like a lot of people and like the Israelites of old, find that hard to follow. And I often find myself in a place where it's like, is God really communicating with me? Is God really speaking to me? Is God really telling us where to go? And this is how Paul addresses this question in Romans 8. Because he's, and Paul's writing about the entire scope of living the Christian life. And this is how he begins to talk about the Spirit. That those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We see this in Israel. We just read this story where what corrupts them and, 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 and gets them to the point where they cannot see where God is, is guiding them and, and makes them forget where they have been taken from is that they get hungry. And they get so bored in their hunger, they get so frustrated in their hunger, living according to what their bodies are telling them, that they forget that God is guiding them. We think that the flesh only has to do with sex and sexuality, but that's where our minds conventionally go. But it's not just that, it's having, living in the flesh is having a desire for this world more so than what God is giving us. Trusting that the pleasures of this world, be they, be they the next Avengers film, be they uh, a Baconator, be they anything else, not that any of those are good or bad things, the next Avengers film will be fine, I'm sure, if you like sitting around for three and a half hours, or, and, and Baconators are beautiful, but those ought not to be the things that we're counting on to give us joy. So it is our, it is a, for those of us who follow Jesus, it is incumbent upon us that we live our lives according to the Spirit. Paul says this, you, however, speaking to us as well, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. We don't have to succumb to the voice inside us that says, I'm hungry, God must not be working. We can live according to the voice inside us that points us toward Jesus. We have another voice equally loud inside us that ought to be guiding us to what is true and what is satisfying permanently. And we can choose that. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just noticed it uh, in the, the text. And, uh, and, he, and I ran into him last night. So this idea of putting to death the body, we think of that incredibly metaphorically. 
And then last night, I was, uh, we were at the Italian Center, and we ran into a friend of ours, uh, Mike, uh, who uh, runs the Italian Center. And he was telling us this story. And Mike, and I've known Mike for a long time, as long as we've lived in Macaulay. And uh, Mike is, uh, uh, he's kind of an ornery guy. Like, I, I've always liked Mike, but Mike will talk your ear off. But Mike also has always had a, a, a kind of a gruff outer skin and attitude. Uh, Mike is the kind of guy who will punch someone in the face. Uh, and has punched someone in the face probably recently. But Mike just looked different and carried himself different when we talked to him last night. And he started telling us this story. I was, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, he's, and I said, so how are you doing? He actually looked like he had lost a lot of weight. And he was like, well, I died last year. And he told us this story that he had gone in for minor surgery. When he had gone in for the minor surgery, uh, when they were finishing up, they had accidentally uh, cut a, an artery in his midsection, and uh, he almost bled to death internally. Uh, and he was uh, clinically, medically dead for four and a half minutes. And, uh, and he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And, uh, and he said that, 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 uh, that after this, he said he didn't know what had happened, but after this he just found himself lighter. He, he says he, he often does not charge his phone. <laughs> he just like lets it rest. There's, he, he said he used to be consumed with everything that he had to do, had to be finished today, and now he's like, it's not finished today, it's no big deal. And, and it's one thing for someone to say that, but as people who had known him, he really, the way that I could think of it is he looked like someone had like scrubbed this rough exterior off him and he was just softness and, and he was hugging people. It was very weird. But... <laughs> We have this idea of dying to our, but, but it's interesting that he's like, dying was the best thing that happened to me. He's like, I almost wish that, he, he genuinely said, I wish everybody could die, and then that would make them feel so much better about life. And, which is crazy, except that Christianity has been saying the exact same thing for 2,000 years. That in the spirit, we can die daily. We can say, I'm not going to be dictated by what my stomach tells me. I'm not going to be dictated to by what the news tells me. I'm not going to be dictated to me by my, by my own fears. I'm going, to be, I'm going to live in the spirit. I'm going to put to death those things that tell me to focus on this. And I'm going to lift up those things that tell me to focus on the spirit. For those of you who are led by the spirit are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Isn't that interesting? If you meet a Christian who is governed by fear more than they are governed by love, it is very worthwhile for you to ask them, are you living in accordance with the spirit? That is a fair question to ask. The spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You don't have to convince God that you are God's children. The Holy Spirit does that. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share his sufferings, in that we may also share in his glory. So we pray, then, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to have our hearts and our minds and our souls and our actions guided by what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. And now, to get back to communication, I understand your frustration, because you, like me, 
are probably answering the question, all well and good, I believe that in my head, that's really great, but when it comes down to the data, when I leave here and by about, I can, I can say that I'm gonna live in according with, with the Spirit all day today, maybe even tomorrow morning, but the time I get to Tuesday at 2.30 in the afternoon and my coworker bothers me again, then I am having a really tough time living in the Holy Spirit then. I'm having a really tough time dying in the flesh then. So what is going to take me from this moment where we all agree that everything's fine to that moment where I can, uh, where I can live in the Spirit when I actually need to and when it's hard, not just when it's easy? And I don't have a great answer for you, other than this is what the Bible says. That music is something that changes us. In Ephesians 5, 18 and 20, the previous verse was like, do not live according, do not live in drunkenness, do not be drunk with wine, living in intoxication and escape. But it says this, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always give, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father for everything. Something about music is created to change the way that we think and operate in the world. If you operate on those days when you need to make that choice to live according with the Spirit, if you're surrounded by people who frustrate you and anger you and make you feel small, you need to have a song that points your heart to Jesus going through your heart and your mind. If you can sing, I need thee every hour, if you can sing something that guides your heart to Jesus, that is going to make that task of choosing to live in the Spirit easier. Okay? So we sing songs here. This is great. You can keep them. Many of you have phones. You can get some, like, find whatever works for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, and this is the other thing that, that evangelicals get wrong. It doesn't necessarily have to come out of a label in Nashville and say Jesus a bunch of times in the song to be songs that, are, that guide you to the Holy Spirit. Like, don't, not right now. <laughs> we can have to talk later. Okay? So just whatever you like. The Word. And the second thing of how we seek the Spirit, if we want to seek the Spirit, we need to be in the Word. However, it, it matters. I, 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 I would encourage you to read because we are privileged to be in a culture where most of us know how to read. I understand that most of Christian history, most of the Christians in the world did not know how to read, so they had to dwell in the Word differently. But it says this in Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another from all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, music again, with faithfulness and thankfulness in your hearts to God. Get the word in you. Be it through music, be it through podcasts, be it through listening to sermons. Sometimes you might want to listen to a sermon by someone other than me. That could be fine. No. Um, but, like, but do that. You know, get the... I, it, like, I, I don't want to... Whatever works for you, it doesn't matter, but get the word in you, through your ears, through your eyes, through your reading, whatever, memorization, get the word in you, because that is going to tune your heart into what God is trying to do in this world. It is incredibly difficult to live in the spirit. There's so many distractions and they are becoming more and more invasive all the time. But we ought not to live in fear of that, but we can live in light of the Holy Spirit, turning our hearts and our minds towards he, what he is doing. Here are a couple of tools for how to do that. The question is, are we going to do it? Because ultimately, 
When the people of Israel sat around and started complaining that and imagining that back in Egypt they had had all these pots of meat to eat, they made a choice to stop looking at a pillar of cloud and to start looking at the ground. They made a choice to ignore the communication that God was bombarding them with all the time and pretend that it wasn't happening. And we are left with the same choice as well. Are we going to ignore this word? Are we going to ignore our brothers and sisters? Are we going to ignore all of the ways that God is trying to communicate his help and his hope and his faithfulness to us? Or are we going to tune our hearts and minds to what he is telling us, making the choice to not listen to the voice of the flesh, which is telling us to look to this world for things that will satisfy, but the voice of the spirit that is, t that is reminding us that nothing here will last and Jesus provides satisfaction now and for eternity. And if we're looking for a place where God's communication with us is made clear, it is very clear at this table. Because Jesus laid down his life for us and said, you participate in this death that I am about to die. You participate in this resurrection that I am about to experience in order that you can experience this new life that I am offering. If nothing else, let the Holy Spirit communicate to you through this bread and this, and, and this cup in order that we can experience the, the, the life, death, and resurrection that Jesus has offered up for us. Let's pray together.